0: Father, uh, we need you. We want you. I pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience. I do ask that we will walk out of here different, that today would be a changing day for all of us in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I have been walking in the blessing of the book of Revelation. Remember, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, it says that those who hear the word, or those who read the word, who hear the word, and essentially obey the word, will receive a blessing. Now, I think God's grace is coming in in the obeying of the word. As a, I'm trying to obey the word every day, but... I think where the blessing's been coming in for my life is as we've studied the seven churches of Revelation, I've been recognizing much deficit in my relationship with God. Just significant deficit where I say, God, I need you here, I need you here, I need you here, I fall short here. And it's maybe areas that I haven't seen before, and it's through studying Scripture and being okay with what it says, and then trying to do better, trying to be obedient, I think that's where the blessing comes. So I've been frustrated the past several weeks because it's just like, well, I didn't know know about that in my life, and then I see it, and, and then I struggle, and I struggle, and I struggle, and it's just like this sharpening is going on. So the blessing doesn't always mean prosperity and happiness, sometimes the blessing means things are exposed that cause frustration in your life so that you can point to Him even more. Amen? Amen? Anyone else been experiencing anything as we've been going through the book of Revelation? Just raise your hand if you've been experiencing anything. I just expect the blessing, and the Bible would be a lie if we don't encounter one. So today we will be looking at the sixth church in the book of Revelation, You can find it in Revelation chapter 3. And this church is the church at or in Philadelphia. Philly was known as the city of brotherly love and was one of the youngest of all churches. It was located on the main uh, trade route, also known as the greatest trade highway in the world Many travelers would come and go because of this trade route. It had many nice buildings, and this is why it was known as Little Athens. And it was located on a major fault line that experienced the earthquake that we've discussed before in 17, or A.D. 17. And the residents, because of this fault line, they felt highly insecure about where they lived. It'd probably be much like those who live on the coast when fall comes, right? You worry about hurricanes or those who live in Tornado Alley, you worry about tornadoes, but you see some of them, you see some of the people who just sit out on their porches and record them. But um, the residents felt insecure, insecure because of how bad this fault line was. Philly had a major Jewish community and this town was intentionally built to be a missionary city. What was unique about this church is Jesus does not rebuke them for anything. This means we need to take notice. Jesus does not rebuke Philly for anything. So we better pay attention. And if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't rebuke them, what does that mean? Maybe Philly is a church model. Maybe that's what we should look like. So to start this letter, Jesus addresses uh, his characteristics as he's done so far. So Jesus' characteristics, Revelation chapter 3, to the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So we're just going to look at a couple of these, these things, these characteristics. So he says, holy. This, uh, what we see is his deity and the trinity when he mentions this. When he brings up holy, the holiness of Jesus reflects his identification with God, because what do we know? God is holy. There's only one that can be holy, and that is God. So what Jesus is doing here is he's identifying as God. We couldn't. Um, yeah, there's only one who was holy. The attribute required for our sacrifice. You realize that? The one who, the only one who could lay down their life for you and I was one that was holy. That's it. So because of that, you and I, because we're not holy, we couldn't be sacrificed because we're not. You and I are not holy. We couldn't be sacrificed because we couldn't bear our own sin. So this is saying Jesus is completely different than man. There's no one like him. Why? Because he Is holy. Holy is a word that completely puts him in a different category than you and I. Now, because Jesus died and his blood covers us, he sees us as someone who he can accept. Amen? But by ourselves, we are not holy. So, God's setting, Jesus is setting himself as tied to the Trinity and completely different than you and I. He's true. This is pretty simple. He cannot lie. And his words carry undeniable truth. Do your words carry undeniable truth? You liar. They don't. (laughs) We think even just the slightest fib is okay. His words are true, truthful. And what I say is we expect to receive a blessing from this this book. Why do we expect to receive a blessing from this book? Because his words are truthful and he's not a liar. And the book of Revelation tells us that when we read it, when we hear it, and when we obey it, we will receive a blessing. Amen? So he addresses that he's holy. He addresses that he is true. And then he says, the key of David. Jesus holds the key of David. This is pointing to the fact that he holds the key of death and hell, of life and heaven. It's also a reference to Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus is the Davidic Messiah with total power to control who goes to heaven. God, Jesus has total control with who gets to go to heaven. And now why this is addressed, and we'll mention it here in a little bit, is this is addressed because there were fake Jews who were trying to tell people everything that they had to do to make it to heaven. There were fake Jews, there were fake religious people trying to manipulate the system to serve them rather than to serve God. So what Jesus is addressing to the church of Philadelphia is he's saying, Hey, look, I choose. I have that key. I have that door. Amen? Sleepy church, do I need to go back? Jesus alone has this power. Jesus says in John 10:9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is the door. He gives access to heaven and he damns those to hell. Now that Jesus has shared a few qualities about himself, he proceeds to give them their review. And I've been thinking maybe on the eighth week that I would do a review of the church in Mechanicsburg. And then I said, not going to go there. Not even close. Just won't. And then I said, well, maybe I could have like people from the congregation review the church. And I said, not going to go there either. Because for one, reviews are scary, aren't they? Like, assessments are scary. And then I'm like, I'm no one to assess this church. Like, God's the only one who can give a real assessment, amen? Man sees something on the outside, but God sees the heart. So God's giving this review. And um, the one review that I hope that I get one day when I meet him is, get in here, you good and faithful servant. Well done, you good and faithful servant. That's, that's all I need to hear. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Either way, here's his review to the church in Philadelphia. He says, I know your deeds, see. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you, are, that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Hold on to what you have so that you, will, uh, so that you will not, so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of God and the name of the city of my God. And the new Jerusalem, which is coming out of heaven from my God and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We have to hear that this church did not receive one rebuke. Not one rebuke. Jesus was pleased with this church, So his plan for this church was for them to keep on doing what they were doing. He didn't tell them to repent. He didn't tell them to turn from their evil. Essentially, he's saying, just keep on doing what you're doing. Hold fast. Endure. So we have to ask, what was this church doing that did not receive a rebuke? They were taking God's words seriously. They were taking God's words seriously. To me, it seems clear that God is pleased with churches that take his son's directions seriously. God was pleased with Philadelphia because they took his words seriously. Are you taking God's words seriously today? Are you taking, am I taking, are we taking God's words seriously Today, only you can answer that question. So what were they taking seriously though? Verse eight, second half. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. So kept my word. What did they do? This church believed and faithfully kept God's word They didn't change the meaning of God's word to fit culture or their opinion. They didn't change their opinion or they didn't change God's word to fit culture or their opinion. Don't we see a lot of that going on? They didn't change it. They didn't get mad at the messenger who taught the word when it hurt. Remember, at the beginning of this book, it said those who keep the words of Revelation will be blessed. This church was walking in this blessing because they were keeping the words of the Bible. They were keeping God's word. See, it was by them keeping God's word that they demonstrated their deep love for God. By the way that you keep his word demonstrates your deep love for him, not by the way you wear a Seeds of Grace t-shirt, or not by the way you post on your Facebook that you're a Christian, or you repost or quote the scripture of the day, not by the way that you just come to church every Sunday, which we're encouraged by you coming to church each Sunday. But deeper than all of that, your deep love for God is how you keep his word. John fourteen twenty one through 24, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. If you love me, you keep my commands. So our deep expression of love to God will be us fighting and wrestling against our sinful nature. When he says to bring up his name at Certified or Berg One Stop, or Cardinal Pizza, or wherever we are, right? Der Dutchman. When he tells us to do something, we do it because we deeply love him. See, it wasn't the church leadership that pursued God's word. It was all of those in the pews. And there's no accusation there, right? I'm not saying only church leadership is pursuing God here. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is collectively as a church, collectively, every individual, there is this deep, deep, deep sacrificial love for honoring him and saying yes to him. See, if you and I would have attended one of their services, we would have been astonished by how much they wanted to know God's word individually and corporately there would have been no question whether everyone in the church would have signed up for the Bible reading plan. There would be no question whether every day each member in this church would have read and reread the daily Bible reading. There was a hunger within this church to follow God's commandments and to understand his word. The church was hungry to know the Bible. Um, I've been gaining weight since—it always happens—since, like, summer ends and it starts getting colder, then you gain your weight, then you lose it. I have a deep desire to lose some more weight and get in a little bit better shape. I have a deep desire for that, but guess what? My actions don't surpass my desire to eat ice cream. (laughs) It's the truth. Likewise, within the church, I think all of us within this room would say, I have a deep desire, I have a deep desire to know God intimately. Well, like sometimes we make it so hard. I have a deep desire to know God intimately, but I have a greater desire to watch my TV series than I do spending 15 minutes reading the Bible. Can I get a witness? How about this? I have a deep desire to know God, but I have a deep desire to go hang out with my friends or to relax. Look, we really don't have a deep desire. Our greater desire is to fill our perceived need somehow differently. And Jesus is the only one who could meet that need. And this church was willing to keep his word and to know his word. And the only way that you keep it is to what? Know it. So God was pleased with them because they kept his word. But then he proceeds and he says, they have not denied my name. Again, verse eight, latter half. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Guess what this means? They didn't squirm when Jesus came up. I was getting my oil changed the other day at Honda, and um, I had on my Mechanicsburg track jersey, rep it, or not jersey, jersey. (laughs) I guess it's my coach's jersey, um, my sweatshirt. And I just saw this guy, I kept on looking at it. I'm like, do I got like spaghetti down here? And then he he said I had a flat tire. I think that meant that they stabbed it, so they got that extra 35.50. So he shanked my tire and then told me about it. He said, like, Well, you got to fix it because you're not going to be able to drive it off the lot. All right, whatever, take my $35. And then he proceeded to say, Did you go to Mechanicsburg? I said, Yeah, I went to Mechanicsburg. Well, when did you graduate? 2007. He's like, Well, I went there my whole life. Well, when did you go? 2012? I'm like, You don't know me? <laughs> like, that was the pride in me. I'm serious. And that's why the book of Revelation has been a blessing to me. Like, (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) It's pride, like, to know how competitive I was back in high school and junior high to where I am to now, I, I just know that God's really working on me. But pride in me right then, I'm usually surprised when someone from Mechanicsburg younger than me within five years doesn't know who I am. It's pride, I know. It's pride. pray for me. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Thanks for laughing at my humility, church. <laughs> See if I be vulnerable ever again. <laughs> so, so I'm honest. Um, I'm honest with you guys and whatever. So I tell him, Hey, look, I'm surprised he doesn't know me, and then we you know, we talked a little bit, well, did you know this person? Did you know Macy? No, he didn't know Macy. And uh, Macy was a transplant. So it's usually because she's a transplant, people don't know her. So wasn't surprised by that. And then asked, well, did you know my brother? Yeah, I knew Sammy. Now it started to click. You seem like a little bit of a troublemaker and Sammy was a punk. Well, now it's clicking. Sammy never brought me up. But what ended up happening is he comes in after fixing my tire, tells me you have to pull out, you have to walk out to the bay, hop in the truck, and I roll down the window and I'm talking to him um, some more. And um, then he just starts cussing and cussing about this and that and bird this and now where they go to school and cuss, cuss, cuss. And it started to make me feel uncomfortable because I started to squirm a little bit because I was ready for him to ask me, well, what else do you do other than coaching track? And I started to squirm, and I started to squirm because it always gets really weird when, when like, people are just cussing and cussing, Then you're like, oh, I'm a pastor. Then they're like, oh, forgive me, Father, and they start doing these motions. (laughs) No, that's not how it works. I've had people do that. That's not how it works. So I started to squirm a little bit. Anyone ever squirmed when you know that Jesus is about to come up? And I wasn't squirming that Jesus was about to come up. I was, well, a piece of it was, but I was squirming because of just the person that he just was making himself into. And then I was going to say, I'm a pastor. And um, this church didn't squirm when Jesus or the love of their life ever came up. Jesus, God, was pleased with that. Jesus was pleased with that because they have not denied his name. Have we squirmed this week? Lord willing, I don't squirm for the rest of the day. Lord willing, if I wake up tomorrow, I don't squirm tomorrow. They happily claimed Jesus Matthew ten thirty two through 33. Whoever acknowledge me, acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. They shared their faith even when it was hard. Better stated, they walked out the Great Commission. This church was a Great Commission church. God was pleased with this church because they valued what Jesus said about furthering his kingdom. What, what's really weird about us as Christians is what we end up doing is, is we take our earthly life and the rest of eternity and we make them two different lives. Do you guys do that as well? You say, like, well, here's this life, and then, then I'll get into eternity. What should change is we need to recognize that we're living in eternity now. I'm not saying we're living in heaven. Don't hear that. What I'm saying is we are living in eternity. I don't get—I get a new body, but my spirit and my being lives forever. Amen? Now for some, the living forever, it's really scary because there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But where I believe that I'm heading, not based upon my works or my good deeds, but solely because of the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice, I believe I'm going to heaven, amen? So what's unique here is um, our whole life should be about furthering the kingdom. But many of us have made our whole life about career, or sports, or being liked, or just getting by, or the TV series that we love to watch. The fact of the matter is, is our whole life and our whole existence is about furthering and worshiping the King of Kings, and this church understood that they valued furthering the kingdom. So when you're at your job, you are to worship God and further his kingdom. God has placed you there. When you are at church, you are to further his kingdom and worship him. When you are at school, your job and your expectation is to love him and to further his kingdom. And I need to preach to myself, when you're at Honda getting an oil change, my job is to worship him and to further his kingdom. Walk out the great commission. Many of you are familiar with it. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen? I've shared this a lot, and you guys know this. Your job description is significantly clear in the Bible. Love God, love people, and make disciples. That is your job description. You are someone who's going to love God, love people, and make disciples. The expression of that might be you uh, own a bowling alley. It's a family business. You make really good pizza. It might mean that you're retired or a state highway patrolman, or you work with Youth, or you're a teacher, you're a banker, you're a truck driver. You made pig feed that we benefited from for years. You play music. Whatever it may be, your expression of walking out loving God, loving people, and making disciples is going to look different. But your goal each day should be that God, how do I honor you and how do I love you? How, how do I love people? how do I make disciples? This church was passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus. See, there was a lot of pressure on them to simply make Jesus fit in to just one of their lowercase gods. There was a lot of pressure for them just to make God sit there as the sun god. Or Jesus to be just the sun god. or, Or the god of the shadows. Or the god of incense. There was pressure in society to do that. And there's pressure on our society to do that as well. But this church didn't move. They kept sharing about Jesus. They didn't make their faith about themselves, they walked it out. Are you walking out your faith, or are you squirming when Jesus comes up? Are you undeniably bringing up Jesus' name? one uh, several studies that i looked at the past couple weeks only 3 in 10 unchurched americans so 29% say a christian has ever shared with them one on one how a how a person becomes a christian so if we have 100 people in this room today 29 of you have only shared one-on-one with someone, how to become a Christian. Isn't that a sad fact? Because here's what happens. Um, I'll, I'll bring up the idea of like well, reading the Bible or I think we're strong Christians. And then we're like, yeah, I'm a strong Christian. You better be talking about me as a strong Christian. And then I bring up the fact of, hey, only 29% of people share the gospel. And then you're like, yeah, I'm that 29% because I don't feel equipped enough. How many of you guys don't feel equipped enough to share the gospel of Jesus? Okay. So only three in ten unchurched Americans say a Christian has ever shared with them one-on-one how a person became a Christian. Only slightly more say a Christian has ever told them about the benefits of participating in a local church, 33%. Or the benefits of becoming a Christian, 35%. Only 35% of the world says that a Christian has ever talked about the benefits of becoming a Christian. Isn't that sad? I'm not pointing the finger at you. It's the whole, the American church. What are we doing? The study conducted by Lifeway Research found 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe that they personally have a responsibility to share their faith. So, how, yeah, I'll ask you guys how many of you guys feel like personally you have a responsibility to share your faith? I think that's all the room. Uh, yet, despite this conviction, 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the previous six months. See, what this church did is they knew the scripture, they had the conviction. And they did it. And what this study is saying is, or our study right now would be, 100% of the people at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship feel like it's their personal responsibility based upon scripture to share about the good news of Jesus. Yet how many people have shared the good news of Jesus one-on-one with someone over the past six months? I think that number would probably be less than 20%. I don't know, do you want to do a survey now? How many of you guys don't want to participate in the survey, raise your hand. That's what I thought. That's my answer, that's your answer. Yet despite, yeah, this conviction, 61% has not told another about how to become a Christian in the past six months. Three quarters of churchgoers say that they feel comfortable in their ability to effectively communicate the gospel while 12% say that they don't feel comfortable telling others about their faith. The survey also asked how many times they have personally invited the unchurched person to attend a church service or some other program at your church. Nearly half, 48% of the church attendees responded zero. 33% 33% of people say that say they've personally invited someone one or two times, and 19% say they've done so on three or more occasions in the past six months. Why is it that we have religious freedom in the US, but the church is denying his name? We have so much religious freedom in America, but we deny his name. If Jesus has changed your life, if you received something from the church or on Sunday morning, or if scripture stuck out to you, if you've experienced repentance and Jesus loving you, uh, why are we not inviting people to that relationship with him? Why are we not inviting people in to being saved from sin and death? A nation saw Damar Hamlin have or go into cardiac arrest, and it scared them, did it not? How many of you guys saw the video? That was horrifying. NFL player in peak shape, peak age, goes up to make a routine tackle, stands up, falls down, cardiac arrest, CPR for eight minutes. He's now alive today, praise Jesus. We had a nation stand up and pray, amen? Why is it that we had, look, why is it we got so convicted over seeing him going to cardiac arrest and we caused us to pray, but we could care less if our neighbor goes to hell or not? Why do we care less if our neighbors go to hell? Why do we care less if our coworkers go to hell? What kind of nonchalant attitude is that? This church deeply cared. Far greater than Damar Hamlin, we should care about people's salvation. Amen. And the fact of the matter is, is maybe Yeah, we're wrestling through a few things. See, this church didn't do it because it was easy for them. It wasn't the easy for them to invite people to church and walk out the Great Commission. It was really hard for them. And they endured a lot. They went through many tough times. And at the first half of the latter half of verse eight, he says, I know that you have little strength. I know that your job is hard. I know that the people at your work are challenging. I know that your neighbors are annoying. I know that you've been made fun of for identifying with Jesus. So it wasn't a bad thing that they had little strength it was a good thing and it meant that they kept on fighting they had little strength because they kept on fighting their working for Jesus was not conditional on their expectation their working for Jesus wasn't about their skill strength or fortitude it simply came down to trusting God and saying yes God I trust you yes I'll do it in other words they were dependable The church in Philadelphia was dependable. Yet they were only dependable because in our weakness, he is strong. See, they had little strength. And when they had little strength, he was strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Isn't this what the church wants to be? Don't we want to see God's power made perfect in our weakness? They were weak because they kept on fighting. They didn't give up. So what Jesus does is he encourages them, encourages them to keep on. He just says, keep on, keep on, keep on. Verse 8, I know your deeds, see. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut this town that was a major highway was not afraid to share the gospel of Jesus. They had many people coming through it. So, Jesus reminded them that he will keep the door open for them. He will keep this door of the ability for them to share the gospel. He'll keep that door open of of the gospel being shared. Why? Because they're active in their faith. He said this Because you have the enemy's kingdom who wants to shut it down. So what God was telling them is, I'm going to keep this door open so you can keep on sharing your faith about me. I believe that every open door's priority in Scripture is to bring honor and glory to God. Amen? I've heard the church talk about open doors before, and actually the open door was all about worshiping the person rather than him. And what I see in Scripture is every open door is to bring honor and glory to Him. Open doors are less about making money. The open door for the job that was there for you to reach... The open door that was there for you was there for you to reach people for the sake of Christ's sake. So the job that you got was not an open door for you to worship yourself. The open door that God kept open was for you to further his kingdom. The money that you received, the open door of money, was not there for you to worship yourself. The open door of money was given to you. That talent was there for you to worship and make disciples. Amen? This door that was opened for them to continually share the gospel couldn't be shut because he opened it. No evil, no person, no plan. Nothing can shut the door that Jesus opens. Amen? See, during this time, synagogues may have kicked people out and said that they couldn't enter the kingdom because they weren't doing things the way that the synagogues said. But Jesus is the one who shuts the doors. And those in the synagogue were in jeopardy of the door to heaven being shut on them if they didn't recognize Jesus as king of kings. So Jesus was telling those in Philadelphia, hey look, the synagogue might be telling you one thing, but I'm the one who opens and closes the door to heaven. It's really exciting, isn't it? That people, what do you mean worker from Honda? You don't know who I am. Shut that door on you. We shut doors on people, but God says, hey look, I'm the one who opens and closes the door. One author says it this way, No matter how weak or ill equipped you may feel, if you stay focused on God's word and are willing to share it with others, Jesus will open doors for you to share your faith. The churches that are most effective in reaching people for Christ are not necessarily those with the slickest programs or the most extroverted personalities. They are the churches in which most members believe this promise and pray regularly for the opportunities to share their faith with friends, family members, neighbors, work associates, and strangers. This is also the most exciting way to live. I challenge you to pray for this every day this week and see what happens. So Jesus encourages them to keep on to pray for these opportunities. And he says, even though you're weak and even though I've opened up the door for you, I'm going to vindicate you. Jesus and you and I will be vindicated one day for all of our efforts. Verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Christians were being persecuted by certain uh, Jews in Philadelphia. Yet, these Jews were only Jews by name, not affiliation or belief. So these actors were persecuting Christians, which really made it hard for them. The church was experiencing a lot of persecution. So Jesus encourages them by saying, that he will make them fall down at their feet and prove to them that they were not wrong about his love for them. One day, all these people who tell you that you're crazy, these astrophysicists and biologists and smart people who say, hey, look, you were were wrong. Guess what God's gonna make them do? bow at our feet one day and say, no, you were right about Jesus, and Jesus loved you. He will keep us from the hour of trial. Um, I wrote a whole new sermon during the middle of the week for this one point. He will keep you from the hour of trial. And I wrote a whole new sermon because um, there's much speculation about this talking about the rapture. So I wrote this whole sermon, and and then I talked myself out of it this week because I said, "If I talk about this, then they're going to forget about sharing the Great Commission, right? You just want to be sucked into rapture talk. So um, what I decided is we're going to hold this off for um, Revelation chapter six through nine. But we will talk we will talk about that speculation, and, and if this verse is pointing to that. But verse 10. Since you kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. Then I had my whole eight pages. Wow, for time's sake, we are going to save this for the next couple weeks. Some suggest that this directed towards the rapture of the church, while others suggest something different. Um, The point that I will make today is this. What is clear is that Jesus is promising that he will protect them from difficult times that are coming. That's where we're gonna leave this today. He will protect the church. He will keep them from the hour of trial. He will keep them. He will keep you and I from the hour of trial. Maybe this was an imminent outbreak of Roman persecution. Maybe it was promising to empower and strengthen them so that they persevere through sharing the gospel victoriously. But the point is, is that he was promising to protect them. And the ultimate protection that Jesus offers is not our physical body protection. But the protection that he offers is that one day we could be set free from all of this with him in heaven. Amen? He's protecting that. He's protecting that, hey, we get resurrected bodies one day. No one can shut that. No one can steal that. One author says this, the point is that nothing can happen to them apart from Jesus' permission. He will give them anything they need to fulfill their mission for him. They don't need to worry about being abandoned because in all things we are overwhelmingly conquer, we can overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Jesus is sovereign. Nothing comes to happen to his people without his permission. Now, is Jesus making it happen? No, but he allows things to happen through his filter. He will either protect you from it, from harm, or he will preserve you through harm until your mission is complete. Last point for the day. He tells them he's coming soon. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is telling them all the pain, all the worry, all the frustration, everything, all the sickness, all the death, all the suffering is coming to an end soon. Amen? So don't give up. Keep on preaching the gospel. Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. Jesus was pleased with this church because even with little strength, they kept his word and they did not deny his name. You and I don't have anything to complain about in comparison to this church. They kept his word and they didn't deny his name. So how many of you guys want God's approval like this church today? I want God's approval like this, I do. One day, I want God to tell me, hey, you were like Philadelphia. You were unashamed of my name, and you kept my word. I want that, we need that deeply. So I'm going to pray a prayer that God would provide us an opportunity to bring up the gospel this week. I'm going to pray a prayer that God will give us the opportunity to share the gospel this week. And I don't want you to, out of peer pressure, because God knows your heart. God knows your heart right now, right? We've, we've learned those characteristics. Robbie's already responding at the altar. He's coming up. He's feeling it. God knows your heart. So after I share what I next share, you can stand up and you can put an appearance on in front of man. And you know that you're a liar and God knows that you're a liar. Or you can seriously consider what I'm about to propose. And you can make the decision to say, God, I want this. And then when the opportunity comes, you take it. I'm going to pray that God would provide us an opportunity to share the gospel this week. You're like, what is the gospel? Here's the gospel. You and I, you and I are sinners. We're sick. We need a savior. So what God had to do is God had to send s- someone in human form who was 100 percent, and now making it more complicated. I'm going to try to simple it down for you guys. We all sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. We needed a Savior. Jesus became that Savior. Jesus ended up dying a death we should have died, lived a life we should have lived, and um, resurrected the grave so that you and I could be set free. Amen? Share the gospel this week. So, I'm going to pray the prayer. I've said it like 14 times now. That God would give us an opportunity to share the gospel this week. And if you want that opportunity, you say, God, I want to take that step this week to share the good news of Jesus, that I don't want to be that bad statistic, I want to be the 29%. I want to be the 33%, and I want to be the 38%. God, I want to share the gospel, and I want to invite someone to church this week. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now, and I'm going to pray. And then God's going to provide that opportunity this week. I'm standing. I want that opportunity. Don't stand up if you don't mean it. It's okay to wrestle. It really, this is a safe place to wrestle. There is no judgment. Please wrestle. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that this is a place that we can wrestle And it's safe. But I pray like the church of Philadelphia, we would be people who would stand up for you this week. That we would share the good news of Jesus. That we would keep your word. Father, may we love you more than anything else. I even pray today after church, Father, you would provide opportunities wherever we're eating, whatever we're doing, just to share the good news of Jesus with someone that there's hope, that there's life, that Jesus loves them. Provide us those opportunities and make them clear. Give us the strength and the boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.